Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here, and we will be speaking about how to create a bright future unhaunted by the past. This uh, class is dedicated in loving memory of Zev ben Avram in honor of his first yard site. May the words be said here, merit him and his family and all blessings, reveal blessings materially and spiritually in every aspect of their lives, all in good health. This is a good opportunity. These classes are free. A lot of work goes into them. Please consider generously sponsoring or dedicating a program or class by going to MeaningfulLife.com slash sponsorship. It's a great way to honor someone, a loved one, a birthday, a graduation, any other significant date. And I would appreciate it personally as well as on behalf of the Meaningful Life Center. And with that, let us talk about the topic at hand. <clears throat> One of the odd phenomenons that you find often is that we all look to make change in our lives. It could be New Year resolutions. It could be birthday resolutions. It could be just like that. We decide we want to go on a diet. We want to exercise. We want to build goals, healthier uh, lifestyle. We want to get rid of unhealthy uh, relationships or entanglements. I mean, the list goes on. Fill in the blanks. Think of something, think of one thing, two things, three things that you would want to eliminate from your life or move on from. And we are strong, we make a strong resolution, strong resolve, and yet, even though we are committed and we're sincere about it, we're not talking about a fake commitment just to... uh, placate someone, we set out on our way, excited, inspired, and that little time, it can be a day, it can be an hour, it can be a few days, a few weeks, and we usually end up where we began, even though we really wanted to move on. You see this especially in the area of relationships. You want to get beyond the relationship that you think is not good for you. You want to try to change something in how your attitude, you want to stop being angry, You want to stop being petty. You want to stop being critical. So the question is why? If we are really sincere about making change, I know it seems like an obvious, even a childish question, why is it that it doesn't happen? Something matter with us? Does something matter with our resolve, with our strength, with our courage? So what I'd like to submit, and I've discussed this many times, but I'll speak about it more specifically here, that has nothing to do with our resolve, has nothing to do with our intentions, nothing to do with our interest and our understanding of the need for change. It has to do with the invisible power of inertia created by past experiences. We underestimate its power and therefore we feel no big thing. I'll just make a decision and start traveling. But every journey that you're carrying baggage from the past will not allow you to travel far. It's like having a long noose, a long ball and chain. So you may go, you may go, but then at some point it'll tug you back. Or if you have a baggage on your back, physically or figuratively, you may want to go, but you have too much weighing you down. And this is true even more so when it comes to psychological baggage. Experiences from our childhood even from later in life, 
that have become part of our experiences. And some of them have become etched in our psyches, like the analogy I often give about the young psyche of a child is like a warm ball of wax. Every experience makes an impression that remains there. And as the wax hardens as we mature, the impressions also harden with it. But regardless, any experience is going to have an impact on us. And remember, we don't a past is not just one detail, one experience. A past is an entire history. That history is all part of your story. And just because you no longer have it in your conscious memory, or you don't think you have it in your conscious memory, or no, and just because you've moved away from there, you're no longer living at home, you're no longer even living in the city or the country where you grew up. You may have moved on physically, but all that is part of your history and part of your narrative. And it's vital to understand how much, how much power it exerts over our lives. And I'm not even mentioning something particularly traumatic or powerful that actually shifted our trajectory at some point in life. A loss, a traumatic experience, an abuse. Anything of severe nature is no question. We all understand that, that it has impact. If you've been really hurt in your life, in your growing up in a home, a dysfunctional home, obviously you're going to have challenges with relationships because your relationships in the first place were never intact and you never were able to build the confidence and the trust and the security necessary for a healthy relationship. But I'm suggesting even further that even if it's not traumatic, even if it's not overt abuse, peer experience, life experiences, we are not a clean slate and it's not like you just, you know, remember those etch, etch, what's it called? etch and sketch things. You just you make a painting, you just shake it and it's, it disappears and you start making another picture. It does not work that way. The pictures engraved, etched into our psyches, our experiences are part of who we are. Yet they remain somewhat lurking in the background, in the, you can call it in the unconscious and the superconscious, not at the surface level. And we may not even be aware of much of it, but it's there. And it's you at some point were there in that journey. So for example, if you think of time as a river, even though I always talk about time as a spiral, but think of time as a river. Just for argument's sake, let's call it a spiraling river. A spiraling river that, that continues to spiral and each year comes back to that axis. But that's not what I want to talk about. I'm talking about the tr- journey of time. And if you think of the, the, the you're on a boat traveling the, down this river with all its twists and turns. The past is where the boat was yesterday. The present is where you are right now, where the boat is right now. And the future is where the boat will be tomorrow. So just as you are right now in the present and experiencing whatever it is that you're experiencing, yesterday, that was your present and that was your experience. So just because the boat moved on does not mean the experience moved on. So when it comes to a boat, you could say, you know what? Yesterday I saw certain sights uh, on the river banks and now I'm in a different area and I see different sights. And it's a different sight. What was yesterday is gone. That's correct when it's called sightseeing, when it's just a casual and superficial experience. But in this case, it's not just a river passing through. It's a river that's absorbing. You are absorbing your experiences. Now, not every experience, albeit, is an absorbing one. There are many experiences that are casual and are superficial. And yes, they will indeed have less impact on us. 
But there are many experiences that are ones that affect us in that absorbing way, that it absor- we absorb it in our psyches. And especially in our young, impressionable, warm, wax years, when we really have less control of what comes in and goes out in our life's experiences, where our control is really, our lives are really controlled by our parents, by our educators, by our schools, by our schedules, and so on. So then we, we are almost defenseless against these effects and impacts on us. As an adult, you can hypothetically argue that you filter things through. You filter. You decide what enters, what doesn't enter. Even that, let's be honest, we live in a world that inundates us with advertising and marketing and demanding expectations and all kinds of pressures put upon us from every which way, every every direction. But as an adult, you could say you have more discretion what you determine. But as children, we almost have no defenses. So the journey on this river, therefore, is one that actually the experiences of yesterday, even though today is a new day, but the experience remains part of you and has affected you in some way and has shaped you in some way. Your ideas. Think of your ideas. When did you develop your ideas? You don't develop them every day anew. Ideas are accumulative. And ideas lead to perceptions. And perceptions lead to perspectives. And perspectives lead to outlooks. And outlooks lead to philosophies. And philosophies lead to ideologies. With all the biases and the prejudices that come with it, and the subjectivity that we all inherently have. So the, the knowledge that you've had yesterday affects you today. The knowledge you had two days ago affects you today. Now that doesn't always mean bad, because much of that knowledge and data and information could be actually informs you, and has educated you, and has given you opened your eyes. But it also comes with everything that you have been taught and learned. Some of it can be very subjective, some of it can be very distorted. Just look at the polarization we see today in the United States and elsewhere. Opinions that simply denote tolerance. Someone's completely convinced and cocky about it, that, and smug and cocky about being convinced, I am right. That's what it does. Subjectivity makes you think you're objective. And objectivity makes you think you're absolutely right because you're thinking, now you think you're objective, but it's really based on subjective perspectives. Some of them may be right, some of them may be wrong. So this is who we are. So if you were to identify yourself, the most important thing is to understand that you are a sum total, and perhaps more, of a multitude of experiences, a multitude of attitudes, a multitude of perspectives that have affected you and continue to affect you. So your past is past in time, but it's really part of your present. Because your present identity and your present personality is defined, by, and your present character is defined by the sum of all these experiences, for good and for bad. I'm not denying there's a lot of good in it, but it could all be mixed together. So now when it comes to a point where you want to build and create a bright future, you're dealing with all of this. But it's invisible, so you don't see its power. You don't see how much it exerts on you. The status quo looks like an innocent status quo, but it's not. It's a power, the cumulative power of all that has happened that has defined you. So now you want to change something? Not that simple. In The Power of, Hab- in the power of Habit, a recent best-selling book, I've re- I, I believe I've shared this. It's a very interesting, uh, who is it that wrote it? Du- Duhigg? Um, power of Habit. How habits are formed. 
in the human being? How, how, how do we form habits? Which will explain why it's so difficult to break a habit. A habit is essentially part of the brilliance of the mind's program, the mind's power. You know, the mind controls our entire body, entire being, our entire choices. The mind is the central nervous system. We process in the mind. The mind makes decisions based on a variety of factors, including objective information, emotional factors, other factors. And the mind, the mind is brilliant in its way. Where should it allocate its resources? You can't be focusing on thousands of things every moment. So the mind in its own brilliant way, like a good program, like a good, even better than any man-made program, what it does is it sees and witnesses and learns, adjusts itself according to, and creates algorithms based on adjusting itself to different life experiences. If you, for example, start doing something, and as a regimen every day, from young age especially, like say brushing your teeth, Take a shower, you brush your teeth, whatever order. So the mind sees you doing it every day. So why spend such valuable resources every day going through a whole process? Oh, now we're going to brush our teeth. We're going to take out a toothpaste and take a toothbrush and brush my teeth, just as a, an example. What the mind will do is, is um, consolidate resources and just allocate and turn this into what we call a habit. Think of it like an algorithm. Think of it like a macro. That when it comes that morning, the mind already has it all trained. You don't even have to think about it. It'll just do it automatically. And that way you can use the extra resources of brain-to-brain power towards something that's new, towards something that needs more concentration, something that needs more processing, more analysis. And hence, habits are formed. Really macros or algorithms that the mind, in its brilliant way, is helping us do things automatically without having to go through a whole process. Now, when something new comes our way, that's where the mind will expend and spend a lot of energy to figure something out. That's why it's so difficult to break, because you can't just suddenly come one morning and say to the mind, I don't want to brush my teeth anymore. Just using that as an example. It's not a bad habit. That's a good habit. But the same thing with bad habits. Because the mind has already registered this. You can't just tell the mind, change that. There's no way to change the program. So the power of habit, even though it may not appear so powerful, has all these years of doing something automatically, which already has become a, a etched-in-stone algorithm or macro that just goes through the motions. And we have hundreds of such habits. Now, when it becomes a habit that is an unhealthy habit, a destructive habit, that's when we get stuck. What do we do now? So there's, that doesn't mean it's hopeless. But you now have to fight City Hall. You have to now fight a already set up and, and, and integrated um, patterns and routines, otherwise known as habits, that have already been etched into your psyche. And what happens? So you start breaking it one day, two days, but it's still very powerful. They say it takes around 18 times for a habit to form. I don't know if that number is accurate. I don't know if it's equal for all types of habits, but... The idea is clear. It means it needs repetition. Can you break old habit with a new? Yes, you can do a new habit and train your mind that that should become the new algorithm. But you're not, you're not dealing with a neutral state. You're dealing with a change that you need to create. So the path has been already um, uh, carved. 
So for example, if you have a path, let's say, in the grass that's been already tread over and over again, and let's say water runs there, it's not just so simple and say, well, let the water run elsewhere. It's going to naturally gravitate to that path, to that river, to that, uh, to that rut, which was why we called it being stuck in the rut. So there we have an example of how the past exerts so much power over us. Without appreciating that, without understanding the challenge and just making a decision, I'm just going to ignore the past, you will always be haunted by it. Ignoring it is not going to change anything. Now what we want to learn to ignore is obviously, ultimately the impact of trauma and loss and so on. At some point we'd like to push it away. But you cannot push away the experience itself because it happened. We're going to talk about how do you harness it toward the positive. So here's a classic way to deal with this is the classic story with Abraham in the Bible. Unbelievable story. Abraham lived almost 75 years, 75 years in where he lived in basically what is modern day southeastern Iraq. The chapter begins, the third chapter in Genesis. God says to Abraham, leave unto you, leave your land, your birthplace, and the home of your parents, and go to the land that I will show you. An odd statement. When you give someone instructions, directions to go somewhere, you don't need to really emphasize where they're leaving from. They know where they are. You need to give them specific directions where to go. And here, the exact opposite. Sounds counterintuitive. When it comes to the point of, desti- a point of departure, three expressions, from your land, from your birthplace, and from the home of your parents, which happened to be, by Abraham, all three were the same. Because that's where he lived up till that point. He was born there, it's his land and his birthplace, and the parent, home of his parents. When it comes to destination, you have this vague, to the land I will show you. It should be the exact opposite. Go north, south, east, west. Make a right, make a left. Come to this and this place, this and this city, this and this uh, town, this and this street, this and this home. Or however, however you're going to describe the location, the destination. And here we don't have anything about that, only the past. And the answer is, my friends, as I just said, because the key to every journey, the key to every, <clears throat> to every uh, odyssey is not just having a destination in mind. More importantly, is knowing how to leave your past behind. Because without that, you can have all the great destinations in your mind, but you will be haunted. You'll be weighed down by your past. So what are the three things? Three primary forms of subjectivity that trap us. Remember subjectivity. That shaped our psyches. One is the natural subjectivity, your nature, which is your subjective prejudice nature that we all have. Self-love biases us, blinds us, and so on. The second is parental, the home of our parents. Parental influences and attitudes. And third is the land. The land that we live in, the society, social influences, social peer pressure, social pressure. So there you have it. The the, the beginning with, the order here is different, but was basically the social, starts with the social, then it goes the natural, your, your birthplace, which is the way your natural biases, and the home of your parents. It's another discussion why in this order. 
But these are the three forms of subjectivity that are always defining who you are. But now that you know that they're affecting you, that helps you free yourself. Now we're talking about freeing ourselves, not just from the negative of that, but even the positive. You don't want it to be holding on to you and shackling you, because you're not your parents, you're not your society, and you don't want to be controlled by your biases. You want them to have a say, and especially if it's a positive contribution, but you want to, who am I? And that's why the end of the statement is, not that, that God tells Abraham where you're going to actually go. He says, you free yourself of these forces. Eretz HaSherek can also be said, not just the land I will show you. The land where I will show you who you really are. The real you. Because now that it's not clouded or haunted by other factors, then you can emerge. So if you ask yourself a question, who am I? You know, maybe you're a product of circumstances. I'm not even going to say victim. A product of natural subjectivity, natural biases, parental influences, social influences. You want to know who you you are? A record where I could show you who you really are. Look at yourself without those factors. What would you be like? Find your voice, your song, your unique song. Dare to sing your unique song. It's not easy to do because we are so affected from young childhood for by acceptance, by validation, reinforcement of others. All beautiful things. But that does not define you. That's meant to encourage you. That's meant to cultivate a sense of confidence, a sense of courage, a sense of fortitude and, and uh, uh, oomph to be able to move forward. But if it begins to define you and controls you, then you are essentially in a place where you are bound by your past. So vital to know that and understand the time has come for me to look, how can I see, so let's talk about all three. How can I see things not through my own lens, my prejudice, biased lens? You know what you do? We learn, we study, we read books. We have mentors, we have teachers, we have friends, we have colleagues, we open up ourselves to other opinions. That's vital. That's not just having another opinion is interesting. It's vital to counter the myopic, and you could say the tunnel vision, that will limit our view because we're not seeing the broader horizon. That's how you counter subjectivity number one, the natural biases. How about subjectivity number two, the parental? Same idea. Look and try, ask yourself, why do I do something that I do? Is it because it's what my mother or father did? It's what they expected of me? Can I distinguish between things that how I would do it if it was not under their influence? What are the positive things that they affected me doing? What are the negative things? You'll, you'll be surprised to find out that just by listing it and writing it down, that awareness will give you a new level of control over your life. I recently had someone who came to me, a big issue was rage. A lot of rage, uncontrollable rage. And as we identified the source, he said very clearly, my father was that way. Didn't like something, that's the way he expressed himself, through rage, through anger. And turning into the person who has so terrified me and my siblings, I'm becoming this, I have become now this person. Why? Because it's an algorithm now within him that his mind, in a distorted way, developed what he thinks is a survival mechanism or a defense mechanism, or any mechanism, that's now become, that's what you do. You don't like something. Someone ticks you, something ticks you off. 
Someone touches you, insults you. Rage, anger, yelling. So I suggested to him, I said, why don't you write down on a piece of paper tonight, sit down in your own privacy, and just write down times you remember your father yelling, how it frightened you. And try to write down how it affected you. He said, what's the point? I know. No, no, I said, no, in detail. Because when you do it, you defang the enemy by shining a light on it. It's hard to really explain. Because you'll say, one second, I'm aware of it. Yeah, but you're aware of it generally. Be specific. And the more specific you are about these influences, the more you become free of it. Now, it's not a magic pill, and it's not automatic. But it begins to loosen the hold and unclog the blocks because you're identifying it. You're fully facing it head on and identifying it, taking the bull by the horns. And then subjectivity number three, social influences. In some ways, that may be easier, but also may be harder. Because the first two are so ingrained from a young age, it's part of our personality. The social comes really later. We're not social creatures when we're one day or one year old. I mean, somewhat we have, but it's mostly our family influences and parents. Social comes later. But social exerts another pressure that's much, much, many ways, much even harder to break out from. You don't, you, want, you don't want to look different. You don't want to be mocked. You don't want to be laughed at. You want to fit in. Yeah, you want to be cool and show you're a little, little, little original, but not too cool, not too original, not too different. There's that need to look like others. And that's called conformity. And it has positive elements because that's how communities are built. That's how we strengthen ourselves. We get reinforcement from others. But then there's that little dark side to it all. The retribution, the excommunication that happens. Psychologically, emotionally, when you don't play the game by the rules. And then you suddenly can be expelled from your social circle. And it's very devastating because we are social creatures, and we need each other for good reasons. So it exerts a lot of pressure. How much of us is defined, not because of our voice, but because of what people do? Look how much crime and violence. There's all these studies about the Germans during World War II. So there's the theory Goldhagen posited, which is that the Germans all had it in their blood, and therefore they're all complicit to the Nazi atrocities, even though they didn't all do it, but they allowed for it. They created the environment that was a breeding ground for it, accepting it. If it was really intolerable, it would never have happened. Others argue, no, conformity is what does it. When there's authority, tells you to do things, you can end up doing things you'd never in your life do. When you hear a doctor tells you, a policeman, an authority, you suddenly are blind to moral justice and to moral um, neutrality especially when there's propaganda and so on. But I'm not going into now the theories around it. Bottom line is, however you twist it, there's no question, social pressure. Everyone's doing it. Everyone did it. I was following orders. Why are you pointing at me? This is common. What does that do? It definitely puts you into the group, herd mentality. But what, ha- what happens with you? Your voice, your unique personality, your unique song, your unique beauty, that gets somewhat obfuscated, clouded in the haze, in the fog of conformity. So there we have the three forms of subjectivity, 
that are our past, I would say even their present. So it's our past, which is our present, defines our present, and in many ways it's still our present, because we're still being impacted by that. People go to therapy, and they speak hours and hours about what? About their parents. You're already an adult. Why are you speaking about your parents? Because the effects continue to affect, continue to haunt, continue to affect relationships. I know a fellow great guy having very difficult getting engaged, even though he met beautiful people, because his mother's influence continues to haunt him. And her even twitch, which may not even be about this, but him is, it means she's, he's reject, she's rejecting. And he's terrified of her rejecting who he's going to bring home. You know that joke, the three 90-year-old, 80-year-old, 90-year-old women sitting in Miami comparing notes about their beautiful children. One says, when I turned 80, my son came down with a whole family for a week in Miami Beach. The second one says, that's nothing. My son, my 80th birthday, we went on a safari for a month in South Africa. The third one said, you know, my son, my son's a high-powered attorney in New York. Makes a lot of money. He goes to therapy three times a week and pays top dollar. And what does he talk about? Only one thing, me. That's a son. So there you have the effects. And there are many more that we're not even aware of. To free yourself from something that haunts you, to free yourself something from the past, you need to untangle it. You need to defang it. And the first thing is the awareness of these effects. And the more you can identify the, 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 the cause and how it's impacted you, the, the easier it will be to free yourself. Now, every person is different. Some of you may find it easier to deal with the subjective self-biases and somewhat make that loosen, loosen the ties, loosen the shackles. Some may find it easier with the parental influence and some may find it easier with the social. So there's no one-size-fits-all. But that's what I would suggest. Create three pages. One is going to be self-biases, prejudices. Number two is going to be the subjectivity based on parental influences and attitudes. And the third on social influences and attitudes and begin to analyze it begin to evaluate yourself what you'll see is a cloud will slowly lift and you may discover a voice you haven't heard either in years or at all but it's been there waiting for you and how much energy does one have to exert to keep a voice your natural voice from singing because all these other forces are keeping you down and that defines many of our lives and therefore explains the fatigue, the monotony, the need to find quick relief, instant gratification, anything to free ourselves from all this tension that's going on within our psyches, having to deal with a past while you want to break free into a future, to a bright future. Look at how the sun breaks through in the dawn, breaks through the night. There's an expression... In Hebrew, you say dawn is Aleis HaShachar. Aleis HaShachar means the Shachar rises, the morning rises. But why would you say that? It's the opposite. The darkness rises and the, and the light descends. So the Zohar, the classic book of uh, Jewish mysticism, says Aleis HaShachar is from the word dark. The darkness lifts. But look how it works. You have night, 
pitch dark night. The night wears on. Now let's look at the moments when the night begins to give to the first, first glimmers of dawn. It doesn't happen in a moment. It's actually fascinating. You know, sometimes you just see the sky turn a little bluish-gray at the horizon, at the edges of the horizon. No sun yet, no light. Slowly lighter blue, lighter, lighter. You begin to see glimmers of yellow, brighter light. Then comes, of course, the beautiful sunrise. Again, in, not in one shot. The sun begins to rise slowly, slowly. Only in the beginning, only as a, as a sphere. That sphere rises, and then you feel the full glory of the sun. Kayelis hashachar is an expression. Like the step-by-step process. As the Zohar also explains, Rabbi Shimon Bayechai says to his son, look, they were spent all night meditating. And then he says, look, as the dawn broke. That's how the redemption will come. That's how your personal and global redemption will come. You'll see here a glimmer of light here, a little speck here, a little speck here. And then it'll begin to emerge. The same is in our context psychologically. Darkness is whatever keeps you in the dark, whatever keeps you down, whatever keeps you unmotivated, depressed, gloomy, um, demoralized. And I can go on and on. You get the idea. There's one other word I was using for uh, melancholy. So all these things are a darkness, and they have different ways they affect us. How do you pierce darkness? How do you clear the air? How do you bring light? So you could just shine a big bright light. That would be the equivalent of trying something very dramatic, very shocking, jolting to the system. It may work, but it's not going to really be integrated and internalized. It's just a big light. What you want to do is slowly, slowly. You slowly look at the darkness and you say, where did it come from? How these three factors that have created a dark cloud over my own life that don't allow me to move forward because of my darker past. And whatever darker can be, in an extreme way, it can be mild. What, by doing that, you're shining a light on it to say, ah, this is the impact, this is the cause, this is the impact. And you do that with all three personal subjectivity, as I said, parental influences and social influences. And slowly what you're doing is shining a little light. And the darkness begins to get the dispel. And what happens next is, yes, you're going to discover, and what you want to discover is your voice. What does my voice sound like? Take away the dark shrouds. What arises? arises? What emerges? Now, I am sure that most of us already have some sense of our voice. And there are times where you feel that inner voice you may feel trapped, you may feel fearful, not able to express it. But very many of us have to look at your hobbies, look at your interests, look at your passions, look at the things that really excite you. And again, I'm talking about good, healthy things. These are indicators of the light within your soul waiting to be released. But it's trapped, it's trapped by a lot of dark stuff, dark matter. So it's maybe easier said than done, but it's not as difficult if you really want to think about it. But you have to commit. You have to begin the process of actually defanging, untangling, opening up doors, 
slowly, step by step, find something you really believe in, do it. Find something that you find is a subjective factor. Try to not fight it head on. Try to minimize it. Rage, you know what? That's not, we, don't, we can't conquer it in one shot. It's take it minute by minute. Next time you feel a little rage rising, maybe just change location. Go outside. Go exercise. Go run. What are you doing? You're recognizing, you're not allowing that pattern and the routine and the habit to take over, the algorithm. Does that stop it altogether? No, but you have challenged the automation of it. And by doing that, you've caused a shift. And the mind knows it, the heart knows it, and your psyche knows it, and the algorithms have, have, have registered it. It may need more than one, it will definitely need more one, many times over, but every time it'll weaken the hold and give you something strong. Remember, the key thing is also not to just fight the darkness, you want to bring light in. So find things you believe in, find things that you have value in, volunteer for something, write something, play music, do something positive that brings light. Do this all in a concerted and consistent effort. That's the next key step. You cannot just do this and then forget about it and say, oh, I done, I done. It has to become a daily thing. It has to, remember, counter a whole series and multitude of past habits and routines and patterns and pasts that are haunting. So you can't just fight that by saying, I'm going to do one thing. You need to do as many new good things that create a new habit, a new algorithm to counter old ones. But the way to do it, again, is not to cold turkey. You do this step by step, and then the sun slowly rises in your life. And until the point it comes to noon, high noon, bright shining. We all have moments like that. Moments that we have that type of optimism, we suddenly feel a surge. That's when your sun is shining. Don't ever give up on it. Yes, the sun will can set as well, and it will set, but these are all the cycles of our lives. And look at it that way. So when the sun is setting, say to yourself, okay, now it's setting, the darkness is coming back, I will go, maybe it's a time to go to sleep, it's a time to regenerate, recharge your batteries, it's a time for meditation and contemplation, but everything's part of the process. And that darkness will ultimately give, again, to a new dawn. So you, you can even use the daily cycle of the sunrise and sunset as your own personal sunrise and sunset. The more conscientious, the more focused, the more deliberate you are about this, the more focused in a very conscious way, the stronger you get. The, the, the worst is when you just allow those algorithms to take over. My past algorithms run my life. Where most people say, I give up. It's just, I can't change anything. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Ultimately, where is that voice you think coming from? It's also part of the negative algorithm. It's also a subjective voice. That's why you meet suddenly a new person, a new love, a new commitment, a new energy surges through you that says, we can do it, and you're suddenly off on a trip or involved in a project that you have never thought you would ever do. What's happening? Where's the voices of yesterday? Because something new has come in and has touched you in that place and allowing your sun to shine a bit. And not giving in and resigning itself to those darker shadows that keep us trapped. Try it out. Try it out day after day in a small exercise each day. This does not have to be a full day effort. 
could be just five minutes a day, but five minutes focused on these three items of, of dark subjectivity that is our past. And you'll be surprised. You'll be able to start creating a brighter future. Yes, a brighter future. On the fourth page, I spoke about the three pages, which was dealing with the cause and impact of the three levels of subjectivity, personal, parental, and social. On the fourth page, start writing your dreams. What would your your sunlight look like? You had your dreams filled, fulfilled, realized. What would it look like? Forget about whether it's fantasy, reality, or not. Three things, five things. Five goals, think five things I wish I had, and fill in the blank. But think about it. Not just, uh, you know, I wish I had a cold drink right now. Think about it longer term. So now you'll have before you, you'll have the land, the natural, and the parental and the social effects from where you are leaving, lech lecha, and you'll have the land I will show you on the fourth page where the real you expresses itself. Think about times when you really felt at home, where you felt something resonated. You felt, ah, I felt like I belong. Register that. Write it down. Because this is going to be vital, because you're going to have here build yourself a cognitive life raft that may at this point not necessarily be attainable to the fullest, but if you can dream it, you can live it. You can attain it. So you begin by expelling out those items. It could be going back to your childhood when you remember a certain memory, a certain vision, a certain experience. In the summer now, many of us have midsummer night dreams. We remember summer days in our younger years. Anything idealistic, spiritual, transcendental. It could be a book, it could be a movie, it could be music. Something that really lifted your spirit that you felt that spoke to me. That's the next list to create. When you have now these lists, and the point here is not to create lists, the point is, of course, to create awareness, you will see things begin to actually happen. That's how it works. The trap is going to be your darker voices, your past voices, are not going to let you do these exercises that I'm suggesting. They're going to either dismiss it that it can't work, or I'm too busy, or whatever other excuse. That's going to be your past haunting your future. So your bright future is a direct result and direct outgrowth of how much you free yourself of the past. So someone may ask, is that the only way? Can't I just have a new beginning without looking back? I wish I could answer yes. My answer is yes. But you're not looking back. You are trying to free yourself of the back, of the past effects on your present and your future. That's the point here. Not looking back, we're not dwelling on it, we're not looking to obsess with it. Because that's also another trap. Obsessing over the past. Obsessing, if only so and so had happened. If only this and this happened. If only I made this move. If only this person didn't do this to me. If only I didn't have this experience. Those regrets end up becoming part of the haunting present. The part of the past haunting the present. Because it leads you nowhere. It just creates guilt. It creates um, sadness. It creates a state of almost paralysis and ultimately hopelessness and grief and anxiety and tension. 
You need more. Whereas if you go with a different approach, I have a soul within me, I'm forging ahead, I need to know those impacts because they affect my, me and I want to free myself of them. I'm not obsessing over them, I'm not feeling I lost an opportunity, I'm guilty, and only if, none of that. Instead, I need to know that because that's the baggage that I carry. In order to be able to really forge ahead with some things I really believe in, I really look up to the things I aspire to, my yearnings, my longings. And this is also true about relationships. Relationships, all this comes out very acute because in the relationship, your past very much affects you. When your security has been shaken, your trust has been somewhat been betrayed. What happens? You let the past pain affect the future and the present and the future. Your next relationship, you're much more wary. You're not as idealistic. You're not going to just have free abandon. You're going to be much more calculated. So what do we do then? Same thing. We want to discard the peels and get the fruit, which leads me to the transformation of the past into the future. Not just you're discovering its effects, its causes and effects, but transformation, because here is the interesting thing. The things that have shaped you, your subjectivity, your own personal subjectivity, your parental influences, social influences, though un- left unchecked and left unexamined, unexamined, they hold you hostage. But once you have examined them, no one's suggesting they have, that they're negatives that just have to be discarded. Your subjectivity happens to protect you, protects your interests. But you know that, and you know that you're not going to let it blind you to cause someone else harm or pain. The same thing, parental influences. Even in the most, I mean, I'm not going to use the most extreme situations. But parents give their certain things to their children. You still want to be cut the umbilical cord and be free, but you still want to have the positive influences. And same thing with social. We're not talking about becoming hermits. And separating ourselves, isolating and insulating ourselves from the world. We're not talking about asceticism. You want to have a social life. You want to have friends. But as soon as you're aware how much impact it has on you, more than just friendly, but it actually shapes your decisions and doesn't allow your voice to speak, that's where the problem set in. Once you recognize that, and then the question in that same sheet you can write, okay, I know the causes of my subjectivity, my parental and my social influences, I know the effects it's had on me, at least to some extent. Now comes the next line on those three first three pages, where you write down is what, uh, what, what part of it can I use for my benefit and what part of it is better to keep aside. For example, you may have a friend that's very, very good support to you, but they also may be so sometimes overbearing, too much. So that would be an example. I want this friend... But I want this friend in a way that's not overbearing with certain boundaries. The same thing with parental influence. I want my parents' help. And I think they can give me wise counsel and they care about me, they love me. But not to the point of smothering. Or not to the point of other factors. Or maybe the opposite. They may be too detached. And I'd like them to be more connected. So in each case, you can actually identify where that level of subjectivity of the past can be used or what has to be put aside and then what can be used you harness it you use it as a 
springboards to help you grow into the future. Because those positive factors are part of you as well. Just because these are algorithms, the patterns and the habits, not all of them are bad algorithms. Some of them actually work well, because since it's automatic, let's say you say thank you to people automatically. You come to realize, you know, I just do that because I was programmed that way. But you know what? Thank you is a nice thing to do. Gratitude. So you allow that that so-called pattern, that algorithm to become part of your life, but you're now aware of it. So it's not just something you're doing blindly or just uh, reflexively. Reflexively, I said. So you want to be able to harness those forces that I described, the Arzach which is the natural biases, and that are basically allow you to really protect yourself and be careful about situations of discretion, as well as parental influences, the things you've learned from your parents, the things that they passed on based on their experience, based on their seasoning, and then social, the social influences for the good. But as long as you know that you're not defined by them, you're, you experience them, and they help inform you, but you're not defined by them. Your identity is defined by your inner voice, the sun that comes from within, not by the darker veils or the darker experiences in life, the subjectivity that can trap us. So these, my, this, my friends, are the tools and the methods of, yes, creating, building a brighter future where you really can achieve things you would never believe are possible. Just think of this. If you can only lift 200 pounds, let's say, but those 200 pounds is the weight of your past, the inertia. So you have no time and energy to, to lift anything else. But if you free yourself to some extent, now you have strength, you have time, you're less fatigued, less exhausted, and are there and less irritable, and therefore able to lift a little more of the positive. Not cold turkey, step by step, but that's the direction. So, as we talk about create a brighter future, unhaunted by the past, we're saying is that so much ahead of you that you can reach. There's so much potential that you have not actualized. There's so many contributions you can make. The mark that you can make on this universe. And it would be so sad if it has to be delayed due to all these extracurricular, extraterrestrial, extra, extra whatever distractions. So sad. But on the other hand, the joy of this is imagine freeing that to some extent. Imagine being able to use your voice, sing your song, make your mark. That changes everything. And each one of us has the capacity to do that. We can help each other, but you have to be able to help yourself help and let others help others help you by taking these steps. Because many of them, the, the steps, these, most of these steps cannot be forced upon you. This is things we have to initiate, things that have to come from within our spirits, within our souls. So, my friends, as always, it's a great, great honor to share some words. The dignity of the soul's journey. The dignity of your journey. Birth is God saying you matter. The value of your life. Value yourself. Many people say, people don't respect me, people don't value me. Do you value yourself? Do you value your destiny? Do you value 
the skills and resources you are blessed with to be able to make your mark. And you value them enough to begin to free yourself from other voices and forces and substances and experiences that keep you trapped. It would be natural for each of us to fly like a bird. That's what a bird does. It spreads its wings and flies like a, soars like a bird. We can each soar. But what happens if those wings are weighed down by water, by experiences, by the past? So you barely can lift them, barely can flutter. I've seen so many people, beautiful wings. And they can fly and soar to such great heights, but their wings are stuck. They're glued, stuck to their past, stuck to their fears, sometimes stuck to their own slow, low self-perception, low self-confidence, low self-esteem. Times come to free ourselves. We're here at the Meaningful Life Center, myself, our entire dedicated team, to help you do that. It's our mission. I feel considered to be my God-given mission. And I'm excited about it. And I feel drives me and drives my skills and talents to use whatever I can to help people in this regard. My biggest goal is to empower people to empower other people. The ripple effect. The ripple effect. The butterfly effect. The butterfly flutters its wings and it can cause many other currents that will help others flutter their wings. You ever see when geese fly, they say, they fly in this V formation because it's the perfect formation for aerodynamics because everyone flies on the, on the coattail, so to speak. The, what they call the, the, tail, the tail wind of the ones before them. So it helps them fly. And then you'll see they change formations. The ones in the head will go to the back. That way they don't get exhausted in this process. They rotate. It's a tremendous lesson how each of us can help others. That when you spread your wings, when you fly your wings, it gives people the lift and the tailwind and the coattails to help them fly and, and flutter their wings. So fluttering breeds fluttering. <laughs> soaring breeds soaring. May each one of you soar to the greatest heights. And please share that with us. Share it with me. And we are here every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. on all your channels. Just for the information purposes of the last few weeks, due to technical reasons, we've not been on Facebook. But look forward to even a brighter and stronger return to Facebook based on after we fix a few technicalities. We're here on YouTube and on Instagram and so many other channels. Please subscribe to our weekly emails. We have now a service that we've been piloting and testing, but it's slowly being unfolded called the Soul Gym. Our Soul Gym, like a soul exercise, a body needs exercise, a soul needs exercise. Every week we send out a soul vitamin, a two-minute video that goes out on Mondays. A, uh, on Wednesday we deal with a... Uh, on Wednesday the, this, this master class, this... And Thursdays, a soul workout, a short piece with exercises. And they all focus on a theme each week. You may have already picked up that we're doing this, but if you are not getting it yet, please subscribe to it. It's a free subscription. And it's all part of our dedicated effort to continue to provide pioneering and original type of programs that are empowering life skills to help you exercise your soul, exercise your wings, 
learn to soar and to reach the greatest possible heights. Thank you very much. This has been Simon Jacobson speaking to you. And uh, we look forward to see you next Wednesday, 8.30. If you have any questions, comments, anything else that we feel we can help you in your spiritual and personal journey, please write to us at MeaningfulLife.com. You'll see Contact Us. And don't hesitate to reach out to us. We all need each other, and we all give and take in the form of a true synergy. Thank you so much, and everyone have a pleasant week.